for Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, for a highly contagious virus, correctional facilities such as jails and prisons in Georgia and nationwide can be perfect incubators. We ought to be trying to get at a point where COVID transmission is zero in our state. And by not putting the resources into jails and prisons, I don't see how we're going to make it. Dr. Anne Spaulding studies healthcare and correctional facilities at Emory University. She joins me for a look at how the pandemic is playing out in prisons and jails and what that means for the larger fight against the coronavirus. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. In recent weeks, jails and prisons across the country have seen notable increases in COVID-19 cases. These settings can be ideal places for a virus to spread though they're not often the focus of local public health prevention efforts, says Dr. Ann Spaulding. She studies healthcare and correctional facilities at Emory University and joins me now for more. Dr. Spaulding, thanks for talking with me. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you, Sam. We have seen in the last month, this is according to the New York Times, the number of people in prison infected with COVID-19 has doubled. Here in the state of Georgia, the Department of Corrections shows about 100 active cases. We've had about 500 or so people who have gotten sick, they've recovered, and about 20 deaths here in the state of Georgia from COVID-19. To start, I just want you to kind of reflect on those numbers for me. What do they say to you about how really prepared we are to handle this pandemic when it comes to people who are incarcerated? I think the issue with taking care and managing COVID among people who are incarcerated is that we need to take care of the sick, but as importantly, we need to stop transmission. Um, generally, the mortality rate of COVID is in the 1% range. And when you have a figure that there are 20 deaths for 500 people, that is saying that um, you've got a rate of death that is 
um, much higher than you would normally have in the community. So it's saying 20 deaths out of 500, the mortality ratio is about 1 in 25, which is about 4%. Either that means that the hospitals that people in the prison system go to are really bad and they can't take care of COVID, or that we are missing a very large portion of the epidemic. The latter is more likely, given that the typical person who's incarcerated is probably in their 30s and 40s, although there are some very old people, there are also some very young people. And there's likely, we are only diagnosing the tip of the iceberg of this infection in the prison system. So we've had um, 20 deaths in prisons, but we've also had deaths in um, our local jails. And jails turn over about 11 times um, over the course of a year. So you have to look at not just 40,000 people in jail, but closer to 400,000 people um, in Georgia would go through a jail in a typical year. What are the real risks to people's health when, say, they're in jail or they're in prison? And how are those kinds of settings maybe primed to handle an infectious disease? Any congregate setting is a setting where there is a risk of airborne infections taking off. So be it a prison or a cruise ship or a homeless shelter, any place where you have people densely populating a fixed area, you're going to have airborne infections take off. What further complicates the matters, as I mentioned, um, most of the people who are incarcerated are in local jails and never make it to a state or federal prison. There is continuous churn through these facilities, and you have individuals that come in, stay for a short period of time, and then go out back into the community. The risk is that there could be somebody with COVID coming into a correctional facility, and if there's not adequate assessment when they come in, um, they could either be somebody who infects their fellow person who is incarcerated or a correctional officer, or they may acquire COVID while they are incarcerated. Talk to me a little bit about kind of the factor of the staff who work in these facilities who aren't there, they're out in the community, they're, they're coming into work. What are some of the risks to them and I guess surrounding those people being both in and out of these institutions? Right. So we have risks of acquisition and risks of transmission. And I think most people just focus in on people coming into a jail, perhaps with COVID and spreading it within the jail and then going out um, or coming in without COVID, acquiring COVID and then going back out. Um, but the other risk we need to think about are the people who work in correctional facilities. There are probably half a million individuals in the country who work full-time in jails and prisons and several hundred thousand more who work part-time. Um, for instance, I have worked as a, a physician within corrections um, where I would come 
just once a week um, and see patients and then spend most of my time working out in the community, you have this tremendous churn of both people who are being detained and people who are working in these correctional facilities. Slightly more than half of outbreaks are seem to be started um, when somebody with COVID comes in who is working with COVID and spreads it to fellow workers and also the population incarcerated, and probably less than half, but pretty close to half, have been spread by people who are detained, come into a jail, and then um, it spreads around and spreads throughout the facility. For individuals who are incarcerated and they get sick, what kind of healthcare resources are there in these kinds of correctional settings to even care for these people? I mean, are they generally cared for on site? Would they be sent off site to a hospital? Talk with me a little about that. There are two Supreme Court rulings that govern the provision of health care in jails and prisons. The first one is Estelle v. Gamble. And back in 1976, the Supreme Court said that you cannot have deliberate indifference to the medical needs of people who are incarcerated. So most large jails have health care providers on site who will come and see new complaints, something that arises of someone with a cough or someone with a fever, and then also take care of individuals with chronic conditions. Very small jails, and in Georgia we have jails that are as small as housing only 40 people. Um, some of the very small jails may not have their health care on site and they send people out to a local emergency room. But the majority of our facilities do have um, providers. They may just be a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant in a small jail. It may be a very large staff in a, a mega jail. So this healthcare services should be ready to take care of COVID. The CDC came out with guidelines at, um, I think, the 23rd of March on how to anticipate the arrival of COVID within jails, um, what to do when COVID comes, how to manage it. If somebody is very ill, um, no um, jail is going to have an intensive care unit on site. So there definitely are situations where we need to um, have people hospitalized off-site and there are also varying degrees of how much a correctional facility can take care of milder cases. I would imagine, too, that some of these settings would face some of the same challenges that hospitals did. I mean, a, a shortage of, of PPE. Talk to me a little bit about what this has looked like as, as far as you know inside prisons. I mean, we, we have all these cases, but has the prison healthcare system been stressed in any way in this pandemic? So I was um, hired as a consultant for the National Sheriff Association, and there was a query of its members. Um, we use gloves for a lot of uh, purposes within jails and prisons, and um, that People were, had a very fast burn rate through gloves, but there were adequate um, gloves. Um, masks and gowns were a little bit harder to get when everybody was short of N uh, N95s 
prisons and jails also had some shortages, which I think for the most part now have been addressed. There was also limitations on hand sanitizer, and there was some repurposing of alcohol in uh, neighborhood distilleries for creating um, manufacturing hand sanitizer. Some of that was directed by FEMA to jails and prisons. So as far as the PPE, we were having problems March, April. That's not the biggest issue right now. But the major issue is really there has been a downplaying of the need for diagnostics um, in jails and prisons. And there is a prioritization when new diagnostics come out. Those seem to be distributed everywhere except for jails. Um, there was a paper that came out um, showing that probably one out of six infections in the entire state of Illinois probably came out of an outbreak that was going on at Cook County Jail. These are the hotspots. These are the epicenters. But unfortunately, correctional health rarely has a seat at the table when um, public health is trying to figure out how to manage the an outbreak, the epidemic in its state. Well, sure. And, and, and that, I think, Anne, gets to the kind of relationship between people who are incarcerated and the larger community. So talk with me a little bit about that that relationship between the health of people who are in a correctional setting and kind of the larger community. So I think our understanding of jails and prisons is mostly something that is a product of the media that we see the movie where somebody's doing their hard time in a prison or a jail, and there's usually not a great distinction made between a short-term facility like a jail and a long-term facility like a prison. The truth is that over 99% of people who are ever incarcerated get out. And even if you're in a long-term facility, the average length of time you spend is three years, and then you're back in the community. Looking at jails, the median length of time is two to five days. So if you are neglecting the health of people who are coming through, you are neglecting a major part of the epidemic. People scratch their heads and can't understand why there is such a black-white disparity in COVID across the country, and they also seem to forget that there's disproportionate minority confinement in this country. So looking at Georgia, we are 60% white and 30% black. And then if you look at our correctional system, hmm, we're 60% black and 30% white. It's just flipped. And we have this predominantly African-American population that our justice system incarcerates, and we put not just African-Americans, but the poorest in our community who can't afford legal representation into this institution. We don't have public health looking into how to manage the epidemic, and you've got a recipe for disaster. And you look at the 
case fatality ratio in our prison system, in our jails, and you can tell that we are missing cases and need to step up our game here in Georgia if we ever want to get to zero. People are right now focused on kind of managing COVID. Nobody seems to have the vision that we want to eradicate, we want to eliminate COVID and then eradicate COVID. We ought to be trying to get at a point where COVID transmission is zero in our state. And by not putting the resources into jails and prisons, um, we are, I don't see how we're going to make it. What is your, your, your vision for what this pandemic looks like in the, in the future, thinking about these kinds of uh, correctional settings? Well, I think we need to have a vision and a goal um, and realize that containment is possible. And we seem to have just thrown up our hands saying it's not that bad a problem. Yeah, some people are dying, but not bad, not a bad problem. Um, let's just pretend it doesn't exist. And it is possible with um, intelligence applied to infection control, um, we could get to a point of having this not be such a threat to the health of individuals, especially those who are poor and those who may not be able to have the best access to health care. We need to use every tool that we have, and we can't fight this with one arm behind our back. We need all hands on deck, and I am hoping that um, we are going to wake up and start being more aggressive with getting um, COVID under control in the jails and prisons in the state. There is uh, help that can be given to those jails and, and, um, and also to our prison system so that as we look at our data, um, we have uncovered all of the cases, not ignored the mild cases, not ignored the asymptomatic cases in order to make sure that transmission of COVID um, gets to zero. Dr. Ann Spaulding studies healthcare in correctional facilities at Emory University. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.